of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be, um, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Maybe seat him. I, uh, it just brought to my attention uh, just a couple of minutes ago that there was um, a medical emergency that some of us were um, uh, aware of here in, in the facilities. And I just want to take a moment just to say, first and foremost, thank you to all of our uh, people who are aware, medical staff and stuff, that that's all handled and uh, it's being taken care of. I don't know the details of what's going on, but I'm going to pray just for a second, not knowing anything was going on, that, that Jesus would be on um, the situation that's going on, as well as for those who are sitting in the area that their hearts are racing, that they would, like, Jesus would just be able to calm us down to be able to hear from him. God, thank you so much for your infinite, infinite knowledge that you know um, all things and that you're invested in everything. Um, God, we just ask and we pray that you'd be involved in this situation, that whatever is going on, that your hand and your peace would just be sweeping and moving and that, um, God, that, that um, bodies would be healed and restored, um, that you'd receive all glory and all praise. For those of us in this room that are aware of it, that our hearts are racing, I pray that you would allow us just to um, calm down, to be able to sense you, to know that you're near, to know that you're taking care of whatever's going on, and um, lead us, God, to see you, to know you, and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, this may be an awkward transition, but uh, as a church, we have some business to take care of before we move too much uh, further. So, uh, yeah, you're all in trouble. Um, there, there's. This has been in my house for 11 months, 11 and a half months. Um, there's, a, there's a handful of you know exactly what's going on. The others have no clue what's going on. Uh, I just need you to know all of you are in trouble, if you know it or not. Um, so this Santa gets passed around from harvest person to harvest person on Christmas, starting on Christmas Eve day until midnight Christmas day. If you have it at your house on midnight at Christmas, you have to hold on to it for an entire year until Christmas Eve comes. I get a knock on my door Christmas last year at 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, I open, it's sitting there lit up. I'm like, what in the world do I do with this thing? And so uh, there's, there's, there's instructions, so I knew pretty quick what to do with it, that I was hanging on to it. I don't, honestly, I don't know who to blame. There's some people that are top on my list, but um, I'm, I'm showing this to you uh, because I'm threatening the entire church is, is what's happening. Um, there's an Instagram page. Yep. I've started it. I'm going to own it. Ho, ho, harvest. If you want to follow it, I'm going to your house and I'm taking pictures of your house with Santa in front of it. And you don't know if it's coming for you or not. <laughs> if you think to yourself, you're innocent. Jordan, I had no part. I don't know. No, you're not. No, you're here this morning. You're guilty as charged. I, I've been staring at it for 11 and a half months. You got to stare at it for the next remainder of our time together. So it's right there. We're not celebrating Santa. He wasn't at the manger scene, but he is here today. You better be nice, because he knows if you're naughty. So my mama told me. 
Anyway. Are we clear? Yeah? All right. All right. Just want to make sure. Uh, so entering into Galatians, great segue, right into Galatians chapter 5. We've been in this series for five weeks now. We took one break, uh, and so we've been talking through the book of Galatians for four weeks. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be for um, our time together today. Um, we're not uh, going to be jumping around. We're just going to stick within Galatians chapter 5, and we're, we're going to read some stuff. But if you need to get caught up on what's going on, and sorry, I'm going to get Santa off the screen. I just realized he's still there. And there we go. Okay, um, that was the Jones's house, in case you're wondering. Uh, all right, um, so back on track. Um, so to get us caught up on, on what's been going on throughout the first four chapters of the book of Galatians, and just a very high level so that you know what you need to understand moving forward and knowing what the conversation is going to be today. Uh, first and foremost, the Apostle Paul. He is the one who is pinning this letter to a church in Galatia. Galatia is not in, uh, uh, in Israel. It's not a part of a, of a Jewish um, sect of people. It is actually outside of, of, uh, of Israel. It is a Gentile nation, but there are Jews who live in this area who have grown up uh, Jews their entire life. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia. He is talking to a room full of professed followers of Jesus. This isn't an evangelical letter. It is a correction letter to followers of Jesus sitting inside of a church in Galatia. The reason Paul is writing is because there's some, maybe what we could call dissension among historical Jews and Gentiles that are within this church. And I say maybe we could say dissension. It's not really dissension. There's just some false expectations that um, the, 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 the um, historical Jews in the church are placing upon these new baby Christians. We can think of them because these are Gentiles who didn't grow up knowing about Yahweh God. They've just heard about them. They've surrendered their lives to them. They're baby Christians for all that, that we know. And these historical Jews who have known God all throughout many, many generations and centuries of history are putting on the top of these baby Christians some rules and regulations and laws that seem like it's not right or fair. And this is what Paul is arguing throughout this entire book. The debate centers that if these baby Christians, um, it, it centers on the fact that these baby Christians need to follow the Old Testament law. That's what these Jews are saying. But what Paul is saying to them is that no, you don't need to follow the Old Testament law because Jesus actually changed everything. Paul's approach to the entire book of Galatians is to say that Jesus changed everything. Jesus didn't just come in and blow up the 60% of the Bible that, that is at the front, the Old Testament. It's not just exploded and it no longer is relevant or we don't need to read it anymore. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying that Jesus came in and he made it make sense. He fulfilled every piece of what's going on inside the Old Testament. In Jesus changing everything, he was the missing puzzle piece that made the Old Testament incomplete. Kids in the room, you guys know what puzzles are? You guys, okay, I'm kind of kidding, but kind of not kidding. You know, before phones, this is what people did when they were bored is they, they put together puzzles. Um, there was, 
There's one day that, that Stacy and I, my wife and I, had, had a great idea. This was a number of years ago. Uh, we bought our kids a puzzle. Uh, this, wasn't a, um, this wasn't like one of those 25-piece puzzles that I still struggle with, but most people can do. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the kids-type uh, puzzle. This was like a 1,000-piece puzzle that we worked together. And the cool thing about this puzzle is uh, it had lots of candy wrappers on it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and not just any candy. I mean, there's a lot of candies that you just don't see in the stores today. But the good thing is, is we live in a culture that brings us soda pop shops. You guys ever been to a soda pop shop before? Those things, the, the, those shops carry a lot of these old school candies. So my wife and I, which we thought was a great parenting moment, trying to bring our family together during the holidays where we get to do this puzzle. We gave them a little reward at the end. This showed our immaturity in parenting. Um, but we said to them, if you finish the puzzle, if we finish the puzzle together, uh, if you guys help us do this and we get it done, we'll go to the soda pop shop and we'll buy every piece of candy that's on the thing. And, um, and my kids were like, ding, okay. They were all in elementary school at the time. And I mean, we spent a couple of weeks and anytime my wife and I would be back on our back deck working on it, um, the kids would come out and, and they, they would help us. It was fantastic until we went to the soda pop shop and we spent anywhere between 80 and 100 bucks on candy. We took out three home loans just to get the candy for my kids that I promised. I'm a good father. I follow through on my promises. We're taking up a special offering today to help me pay off those. Um, so uh, those are the orange envelopes that you'll see inside. I'm just kidding. There's no orange envelopes. Um, you guys ever gotten a, a, a puzzle where you've worked on it and you've gotten to the very end and there's like two pieces missing or one piece missing? Isn't it funny where our mind goes? Um, the blame shifting game. It's not you. You didn't mess it up. You didn't lose that piece. This is my experience. Maybe it's true. The first thought always is, oh, they didn't give me that last piece. It's not in the box. If it was in the box, it would be there. You know, uh, or the, the blame shift goes right to the kids. Oh, the kids, those silly kids. They lost that piece. It's un I bet one of them actually ate it. And it is, <laughs> we'll have to wait two weeks before. No, okay, we won't go there. Um, sorry, probably get in trouble for that one. Um, lastly, I think this is blame shifting at its worst. We always go to the dog, right? We blame the thing that can't talk to us, it can't defend itself. Well, if the kids didn't do it, and they actually, we blame the dog for eating the puzzle piece, right? Uh, it, but that puzzle piece, that final puzzle piece is actually pretty important, not because you're gonna like frame this puzzle and put it on the wall, and maybe some of you have done that, it, it, there, there's no shame if that is you, but that's not the majority of it. We don't typically do that normally, but the picture is just incomplete. You spend so much time working through this puzzle that you need that last piece just to feel like it is complete. Similarly, and um, justifiably, or maybe not justifiably, but I, what I want to do is, is argue that um, similarly, but also differently, Jesus is like this puzzle piece, right? This, this last puzzle piece that we need to complete the picture. Um, the Jews, the historical Jews, had the entire picture 
all puzzle piece together. 99.9% of it was complete. What was missing was this promise of a Messiah. And whenever um, these Messianic Jews, in other words, these aren't just the historical Jews who grew up um, uh, understanding God in the Old Testament, but these people who saw Jesus also as God saw Jesus and they asked themselves a question, how does Jesus fit into the puzzle piece? So I'm able to put them down and it, how does Jesus fit into this bigger picture that was the question they were trying to answer we have all of these historical things that bring together that we know that God is intended and how does Jesus just fit right to that piece to complete the picture what these Gentiles were doing were actually taking the puzzle piece as the starting point when we grab puzzles, we grab a corner, we grab something prominent, we start somewhere, right, to start building things around it. These Gentiles found the puzzle piece, and they saw Jesus, and their question was, how in the world does the world fit around this puzzle piece? Your thought may be, well, the puzzle's finished at the end, right? Does it really matter? Compared to this, this conversation that's going on in the book of Galatians, absolutely it matters, your approach on how you look at and how Jesus, being the completion of Scripture, how he fits, or better yet, how everything centers around him. Up to this point in Galatians, we worked through words like law and grace. We've compared them and contrasted them. Law and grace slave and free words we're going to see today which we already saw at the very beginning is we're going to see paul talk about circumcision and uncircumcised the uncircumcised this is less about the cutting of the skin that's going on there historically but it's more about the heart behind why you would circumcise this isn't a legalistic, do we do this thing or do we not do this thing? It's why in the world would we ever do this thing? What is our heart motive behind doing this act that Paul is actually getting to the heart of? Jesus changed everything. So let's dive into Galatians chapter 5. Uh, and as we do... Uh, I want to start us off by just remembering what we read last week together in chapter 4 as we're moving into chapter 5. These two chapters connect together in a, in, in a, in a good way. The, I mean, the whole book, chapter just connects to chapter, connects to chapter. But what Paul is doing and what he just previously said in chapter 4 helps us understand where he's coming at in chapter 5. Matt walked us through the contrast of being a bondservant versus being an heir. If you read chapter 4, if you weren't here last week, and, and what you'll see is, is this contrast that's brought up. Slave versus free, bondservant versus being an heir. Matt walked us through a, a, a great illustration that compared um, uh, two eight-year-old boys. I, I want to go through this just for a second because I think it was, was brilliant in the way that, that it painted a really good picture for us. Um, think about two um, uh, first century eight-year-old boys. If someone was a son of an heir, they did not get their, um, their, their they didn't inherit their, the, the kingdom or whatever it is that they were heirs of until they became 25 years old. So as these eight-year-old boys grew up, one's the son of a bondservant, one is an heir. They grow up and their lives are... Uh, they're eight-year-old boys. 
parents die, and then whenever they both become 25 years old, the son of a bondservant, his life doesn't change. His life continues as it always has. But the life of the heir changes dramatically. He is now coming in as the owner of the thing that he has inherited. He has inherited all of this. It is his. He is the rightful owner of every bit of it. Paul's argument is that Jesus changed everything. He changed everything you are positionally before God as a you were once a bondservant. You were once a slave to sin. Every single one of us in this room, this is how this is applicable to us, is we are all bondservants, a slave to sin, but positionally because of who Christ is, we are all now, as followers of Jesus, heirs to his kingdom. We are adopted children of his, that one day when we stand before him, we will become the rightful heir. positionally before God, we are free. Um, sorry, I thought I'd put that in. Positionally before God, we are free. Chapter 5 is how in the world do we experience this freedom? Galatians 5, um, again, looking at a quote that Matt said last week. He says, we have the identity of being free but we live as though we are bound. Hear that again. We have the position that we are free, but we live as though we are bound. Why is that? A simple answer I want to give is that I think that we're striving for something in our lives that is so unattainable, and we become so exhausted. And I want to flesh that out with our time remaining together. But Galatians 5 starts with a pretty profound word that we tend to just gloss over. For some reason, we don't understand the depth, I believe, of what Paul is trying to say to us about who we are. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, just those first words right out of the gate— Paul says to us, this is Jesus' words to us, says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Hear that again. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to another yoke of slavery. What Paul is saying to his audience is stop trying to live up to the standards that someone else is trying to put on you and live uh, into the standards of what God is putting on you. All the rules and regulations of the law um, show you that actually you're a slave to sin. So live free in Christ. How do we experience freedom in Christ? First of all, strive to be perfect in everything you do is not freedom from actual enslavement. Why, do we experience, why don't we experience freedom? We strive for something absolutely unattainable, perfectionism. I need to follow this perfect law. I need to be right. I need to do these things right. Perfectionism at its core. Why else don't we experience freedom as we continue to, to unpack this is because, first and foremost, we know our sin nature. I know where I fall short. I know where, um, uh, where, where I just don't measure up to people around me and, and even in ways to God. But 
We may be able to hide that from the world, but I can't fool myself. So I have to live with myself. How in the world can I experience freedom when I know so much about me? Jordan, you just don't know what you're calling me to be freed from. Why don't we experience freedom? Because people actually sin against me and it makes me spiral. Whether it's something so unattainable or it's our sin nature or if it's someone else sinning against us that impacts us to make us spiral, these are all things that make us feel enslaved and bondservant and a bondservant to something we were never supposed to be enslaved to. Galatians 5.1 again. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And why don't I feel free? We can move so fast in this world. We could just keep going to numb the feeling that we have of feeling so separated from God that we don't actually feel free. I know it's a danger in a church at times to talk about feelings because we don't want to just respond to feelings. And I agree with that. But also God gave us feelings and I think he wants to interact with us and walk with us to experience this freedom as he interacts with us. So this conversation, I believe, is so important. But we tend to move so fast in our world that it numbs the reality that we don't feel free from actually anything. If anything, we feel more enslaved. We feel more enslaved to our schoolwork. I gotta get straight A's. I gotta perform in a way that will make my teachers happy, that will make my parents happy. I gotta perform in my sports. My team is depending on me. If I don't do this or that, if I don't work my hardest, then the team will not be successful. My coach is depending on me to be this or that. Or my peers expect me to be this or that. All of this weight that we have on ourselves. Let's get to social media. My friends on social media, their lives are portrayed in such a way that's so perfect that I want to, my life to be like theirs. They're so happy, but I am so not, so therefore I feel more enslaved by just seeing the way that they live, and I want more of what they have, right? What about our husbands and our wives? Expectations put on us that we just don't feel like we can measure up to, so we fake it till we make it, right? We just work hard. But at the end of the day, we feel so not free. So we get to Galatians chapter 5. We know our positional freedom. We know what Scripture says to us as followers of Jesus. But does God actually interact with my emotions and my feelings? I'm going to say it's not God's MO to always want to make you feel good. I want to make that clear. But I do think that God walks with us to let us experience freedom. When we see freedom through his eyes and not ours anymore. We all have expectations. I need those A's or I'm a failure. If I don't graduate, I won't be able to support myself. My coach expects something from me. Have you seen how perfect everyone else's life is? My husband just comes home from work and sits around and like I've been doing nothing all day and he's the only one that needs to relax. How long do I have to keep this up? My wife just hands me the kids when I get home and says, it's your turn. (laughs) This is assuming that there's one parent staying at home. What if both parents are working and we're exhausted? 
Freedom is the last thing that we feel. If we're able to just slow down, let's be realistic. We're, we can't, our culture's not going to allow us to stop. Maybe some of us need to stop, but what if we just slow down and we could hear the depths of what God is saying to us? Stop trying to live up to the standards that was never intended to be placed on you. Students, I'm not talking to your parents, I'm talking to you. A B is okay. <laughs> if you work hard and you get a B, you're not, not going to get into college. Work hard. Don't use it as an excuse, but a B is okay. Mistakes in sports, don't just, they don't hinder you. They actually make you better whenever you fail. You learn about yourself. Social media is a great platform, but they, it's a platform for everyone to put on their best self, see it for actually what it really is. Moms, dads, if the laundry doesn't get done, it's okay. My kids wear dirty socks all the time. <laughs> they do have clean ones, but yet they still wear the dirty ones. Um, but if the laundry doesn't get done, who cares? If we have to eat leftovers, who cares, right? If I feel like I'm more times than not angry with my kids, so therefore I'm the worst parent on the block, that's just your personal reflection of yourself. Who cares? Let's stop putting these expectations on ourselves that are so unattainable that we have to be perfect, right? That's what this law is trying to set on these Gentiles in this first century, saying, you got to live in this way to be so perfect, to follow this law so that you can be blameless before God. It's just what we do. We've done it for centuries. And Paul's saying, you don't get it. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Our sin, it tends to define who we are. Other people's sins towards us or around us also affect us. They remind us that we just don't measure up to the way that everyone else is trying to live. Fake it till you make it. I will never live up to God's standard. As we just continue reading through Galatians, what I want us to see is I want us to see this, to experience freedom in Christ, we must. There's four things I want us to see. Let's just read through this um, and talk about each of these things. Galatians 5, let's just look at 1 and 2 together. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore, stare firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. Again, it's not about the cutting of the skin. It's the heart behind what, the, what circumcision is really all about. What Paul is saying that if you try to measure up to these standards then Christ is going to be no advantage to you at all. So my first argument in looking at what Paul's trying to say is to experience freedom in Christ, we must first and foremost, we must be in touch with our weakness. And I think this is extremely biblical as you see it all over the place of Scripture. You've got 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul is saying um, that he is rejoicing in the thorn in his flesh where Jesus is saying to him, I am your strength in your weakness. Rejoice in your weakness. 
We are terrible at this as a culture because we want to put on some facade like we got it all together. The PTA moms, they all do this one thing and so therefore I have to maintain as well. No, let's be real with ourselves. We don't measure up. You never will measure up. We don't got what it takes to be perfect. When we start there, I mean, I think that's the gospel at its core, that we're broken, that we're sinners, that we actually never will measure up on our own. That's the beginning of beauty. That's the beginning of freedom. I don't have to do that because I never will be able to do it. But Christ, through me, completes me, and I experience freedom in him. Be in touch with our weakness Let's continue reading. I want to look at verse 2 through 6. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If that's your standard, perfectionism, then you're held to perfectionism, and you're going to fail every time. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. My goodness, some strong words. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither, uh, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for absolutely anything, but only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. The second thing I want us to get today is that to experience freedom in Christ, we must live out our weakness in love. Here's why this is a problem. When we feel enslaved, when we feel in bondage, when we feel like we're just not measuring up, we tend to crawl inside of ourselves and just continue to try to make us look better for everyone else around us. Because if we look weak, we are weak. But actually, can we live from a place of being broken and from a place of weakness to allow us to be strong for people around us? To say, it's great that I am who I am. Not that I want to live in my sin nature, but I know that I'm going to conquer this sin through the power of the Spirit, but it's only to reveal to me where else I am broken. We live out our weakness to love others around us, to say, look at me, I don't got it all together. I never will have it all together. You know what? That's fine because I got Jesus. Circumcision has He'll never lead to life. But working out our faith through love from a place of being broken will be the beginning of freedom for you and me. To experience freedom in Christ, we must fight our sinful tendencies and the pressures to be perfect. Look at verse 7 through 12 together. Paul says, you were running well, talking to the um, Gentile Galatians who have walked away from their newly found faith and following the Jews who are putting these extra rules on, on them. He says, you were running well. Last time I saw you, you were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Man, Paul's encouragement. When enslavement takes over, when our sin overwhelms us, when we crawl inside of ourselves, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, that becomes our entire lives and we become someone that we were never intended to be. But by the grace of God, he could speak truth and wisdom to you to say you are most strong when you are weak and when you don't measure up, which allows you to live before others in a unique way, which allows you actually, which is super funny, it allows you to be able to fight your sin nature in an extremely unique way as you continue to open up. You're not hiding anymore. You're putting it all out there and you're saying, this is who I am. I'm working on it. I'm okay with it. What you think about me actually doesn't matter. We got to fight our, sin, our sinful tendencies, but also we can't let the pressures of being perfect drive us. And what might be the most profound thing that, I, that I've read in this chapter comes next We've got to realize that our freedom that we experience is not actually to make you feel anything or feel good. It's not about you. What you'll hear at Harvest often is that it's not about you, nor has it ever been about you, nor will it ever be about you. And Paul just continues to highlight that. Verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only not to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another we got to realize that our freedom is all not ultimately about us when christ says to us this is your strength is your weakness It's not to make you feel good. It's that the world around you can say, what in the world has caused you to stand in the midst and look the way that you look when you're not put together? It's Christ. How do I understand and know this Christ? Well, let me tell you a little bit about him. I wish that life played out that way where it was just that simple, right? That's not the way that it it, it usually goes. But metaphorically, that's the way we pray that it goes. As our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our kids, our friend, the friends of our kids would see Christ in you in such a way that they're like, there's something unique and different about the way that you live. And we purposefully live outwardly. We have a relationship with Jesus. We connect with one another in this church, but we are living for the glory of God in our broken state, wanting the world to see who we are in him. So, confidence we find in Christ should lead us to want others to experience the same things that we have experienced. I want to close um, our time together and to spend the next few minutes uh, reading through what uh, is arguably probably one of the most popular places in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Um, 
Notice it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. We're going to read multiple of them. There's lots of us that know what these, these fruit, what the fruit is, are. It's really hard to talk about it because there's multiples, but it's really just one. But anyway, uh, I think you could probably list them out. But what I want us to do is not hear this in isolation from what Paul is already saying to us. I would encourage us for the next moment, as I read verses 16 through 24, uh, if you're comfortable, just close your, lot, you close your eyes, or you can just follow along intently as I read this. Instead of hearing the things that you should do or that you should be a part of or you should not be a part of, what I want you to hear is that Christ has freed you from these acts of the flesh, and also this is where God shows up in your life. This isn't a a list of rules of do's and don'ts as much as it is saying, I freed you from these things. And also, this is where I show up in your life. We all experience it. This is me working through you. Here we go. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those, for, sorry, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. Our hearts and our minds want to always highlight the negative things in our lives. I'm not good at this. I don't do that. I always screw up here. My work is this way, and this is that way. My kids only dot, dot, dot. We tend to highlight the negative. I don't know if it's part of our human nature or not. I don't know science, but I'm going to say that we all do it. But what Jesus is wanting to say to you is, these are the things I freed you from. I don't know about you, but the list of the fleshly desires majority of them on that list I have struggled with or I continue to struggle with today. The severe statement at the very end that if you, I've warned you before that if you do such things you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says to us, if we just read it at first glance and blow over it, that if you do any of these things, if you commit any of these sins, you will not go to heaven. When Paul is saying that if this is the standard you're, you're living towards, then don't do these things. And if you don't do these things, sure, you'll make it to heaven. But we all fall short of God's glory. He's freed us. As we continue to fight our sin nature, he's freed us to not allow that sin nature to define us as he continues to work in us and work these things out of in us. But as we only see the bad, our tendencies are only see the bad, we forget to see the good. We forget to see where God is working in us and through us, through love, 
anytime you love, that is God saying, I'm here with you. Anytime you experience joy, it's because of God's presence. Anytime you experience peace, it is because God is with you. Anytime you experience patience, none of us experience patience. Uh, anytime that you um, experience, just kidding, ish. Um, it, so it, we could go through this list, right? Self-control, when those things rise up, it is God saying, I'm walking with you. I am here with you. You don't have a standard that you have to live up to. You just, in your weakness, walk forward, keep moving, and I want to glorify myself in you to the world around you. Stop. Slow down. Stop trying to measure up to what the world is saying around you. I want to close with this. When our sin is overwhelming, we experience God when we own our weakness. When we move to love others in spite of us being weak. When we fight the lies that are whispered to you about yourselves. When that identity tries to come up from the pits of hell, you speak the gospel to those lies. And in the midst of that, this is where a lot of us actually get stuck, is we actually use that gift that God has given us, the free gift of the grace that God has bestowed upon you and me to serve and to love others around you intentionally so that they could see Christ in us? Are the things that we're doing on a daily basis allowing others to see Christ in us? Yes or no? That's what drives us. When other people's sin is overwhelming you, you're not going to like this answer. It's very Christian ease. We, we pray. I wish I could give you a 12-step program that's going to make other people change. We can't change other people. You do not have the ability to change someone's mind. You do not have the ability to change people around you. But I'll tell you someone who can. That's Jesus. When other people's sin is leading you down a dark path, you have to pray for wisdom. And more than wisdom, you pray for their souls, that they're able to see what they're doing and how it hurts you. When you pray that prayer, God may ask you to step up to have a conversation with that person. Let's say it's a spouse. That's difficult. When my spouse behaves to me in this way, it makes me feel that way. I can't, we've been doing this for 10, 12, 15, 18 years that we're in a cycle that we just can't have this conversation anymore. Jesus, please let him see what he's doing or how what she is doing and how it affects me. Jesus says, I'm gonna walk with you through this, but we're walking together. You need to ex express to her, to him, how that happens or how that works. And God will walk with you. It may not go extremely well the way you're thinking, but God promises to walk with us. If we never engage God on that, we will never experience change. But we've got to be prayers. Lastly, when it comes to praying, we tend to be selfish in what we pray for, right? God, change my spouse because I don't like this and this and this, right? God can take it. I, I don't know what kind of wisdom I'd give you, but God can take it, so do it, sure, right? But we need to have the humility to say, God, change them, or if you see fit, change me, right? We pray. We forget to interact with God. He wants to walk with us in our freedom to say, I've set you free. To close our time together today, I want to invite the, the band back up. We're going to close um, our time together. Um, well, we're going to continue worshiping 
in receiving communion. And as we do, as the worship team comes up um, and our ushers are in place, um, we, we'll ask them to come forward and, and we do communion twice a month together. The reason is, is simply Jesus asked us to, to remember his death and his resurrection as a community, as a church, to say this is what we are surrendering ourselves to, and this is what we're holding each other accountable to. Nothing else matters in this world as much as what Christ has done on the cross for us. So I'd like to invite our ushers forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see Christ um, asking the church to take communion regularly, to do this. And he says to us to, to eat the bread. The, this bread that we're about to receive represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. This is for our church, for our family. This is for people who call themselves followers of Jesus. If, if you're checking Jesus out, it is totally appropriate for you just to let it continue down the road. That's fine. But as Jesus followers, we're saying we remember what Jesus means to us and we're committing our hearts and lives again to him. So I want to ask our ushers to pass the bread down the rows, please.